We are in our second, uh, second uh, lesson of the series, Selfless, and, and we're talking about how relationship with Jesus Christ really achieves the impossible by empowering us to live beyond ourselves, where we can live outside of the bondage of sin and we can live an empowered spiritual life. And that's, that's really what Christ came to do and came to do for us and came to do in us and came to do with us. But in this thing called faith, this life called faith, last week we talked about the fact that there's some unique vocabulary used in this life of faith. And we talked about how we talk about things like justification or justified or sanctification and sanctified or, or glorification or glorified. And then we even talked about how we're talking about the, the word saved. And when we use the word saved in normal everyday life, we're talking about somebody who has been removed from impending danger. And, uh, and, and we understand that. The, the kid is in the street, the car is coming, somebody rushes in and pulls the child out of danger and the child has been saved. Well, in the spirit world, in Christianity, in our faith, we know that we have been saved. We were, we were lost in our sins and we needed to be saved from the penalty of sin and death. And so we gave our lives and our hearts to Jesus Christ, and in doing so, he removed us from impending danger. There was, there was a, a danger in time that the child in the road is being removed from, and we are being removed from a danger that lasts for eternity, and we're being saved in Christ Jesus. And so that's an exciting and a beautiful thing that we have the, the honor, really, of being part of. And so when we're talking about this thing called sanctification, what do we mean? Sanctification is the process by which we become selfless, where there is more and more of him and there's less and less of us. It's not that we are losing our identity completely, but it is that we're taking on more and more of his identity. And it's a, it's a, a process that we're in. And if you're a note taker in your bulletin this morning, there's an opportunity to take some notes and I encourage you to do so. Um, it, it helps us to, to retain the information and we can go back and look at it later. So we're justified. We're justified when we're saved. And, and last week we used the, the ladder as an illustration of down here as being completely lost and, and up there as being completely perfect and holy. And, and last week it was over there and I ran up the, st- up the ladder and, and I stood on the top because I was instantly, when I was saved, I was instantly taken from being an unholy sinner to being a perfect, righteous person, declared righteous by God. And, and I, I, I ran up the stairs and we had heart attacks across the room and, and every, no, we didn't. Everybody was, stay, everybody was good. Uh, today we're doing high dives, high dives into the baptistry. The, <laughs> I said that to somebody earlier and they went, really? <laughs> no, we're not. The, uh, but but that's, what, that's what the ladder symbolizes. It symbolizes a life in Christ where we are, we're, we're not in Christ and then we are completely holy and saved. And when we're justified, when we're saved, we're justified and we go from unholy to holy, being declared holy by God. But we still deal with our sinful nature. And last week we discovered that just because we have grace covering our life doesn't mean that we don't sin doesn't mean that we never have the temptation of sin or never fall to that temptation. In fact, in every service, I ask people to raise their hand if they were saved and they knew it. And, and most people raise their hand. Then I said, if you have not sinned in the last 30 days, not done one thing that you know Jesus didn't like, 
Just, just keep your hand up. Everybody else put your hand down. And across every service, every hand went down. And, and that's kind of what I thought would happen. Because we're still dealing with our sinful nature. So in short, we have a bunch of sinners in this church. And I put my hand down too. We're working on that. We're working on that in the process called sanctification. The question is, how do I become holy before God? How do I live a holy and righteous life? How does God, what process do I go through in him to allow me to become worthy of his sacrifice in my life? And I think we can learn a lot about this walk as we look at the subject of motherhood. Motherhood itself, and we celebrate Mother's Day today, and and motherhood is, I think, a, a glimpse of what sanctification is all about. Because motherhood is a selfless act. It is it's the giving of the body in order to produce, give life to this other entity, this other person. It's the sacrifice of time. It's the sacrifice of resource. It's the sacrifice uh, sometimes of even health. It's the sacrifice of, of, of uh, concern and worry. and it's, the self, it's a very selfless act. In fact, pe- people who become mothers from a selfish point of view, learn very quickly that there was a wrong motivation. Because in order to be able to be a mother, you must pour yourself in to this other, this other being, this other person who does not have the ability to give back very much at all, if at all. But this process of motherhood is interesting. Because we be, she becomes a mother. I was going to say we become a mother, but I've, I've never been. <laughs> So she becomes a mother the the moment that a child is conceived in her. She she becomes a mother, but she's become something that she doesn't know how to be. She she is a mother, but if this is her first child, she's never been a mother before. She doesn't know what it means really to be a mother. She, She doesn't know what it means to care for a child. And so now she gives birth. And as she gives birth, she now holds in her arms this, this person that she must raise, this child that she must raise into adulthood. And, and she has now become something. She is something that she doesn't know how to be. It's a unique situation. And, and we, can, we can see that through the process of motherhood. She learns how to be a mother. We can tell this happening when we look at how a mom treats a first child and a third child. The, the, the first child is treated very differently than the third child. The, the first child, whenever the child just kind of sniffles or, or, or moves too much in the crib, the mother swoops in and picks up the child and begins uh, calming them and, and making sure they're okay. And then they put them back into the crib and everything's, everything's okay. But that second child... The mother waits until the, she's afraid that the wails of the first child will wake up. I mean, the second child will wake up the first child. We, we don't want the toddler to wake up. So we wait until we think that's going to happen. And then she'll pick up that, that second child and, and, and soothe it. And by the time the third child comes, she's training the first child to wind the crank on the swing. When, when they're going out for dinner with that first child, she, she takes that child and she puts it into the arms of the babysitter and says, here is the booklet. 
This is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to, what I'm going to be doing. This is the exact times that I will be home. This is my number. This is all the emergency contacts. This is the police department's phone number. This is everything you'll ever need in the history, in the future of your life on contact information for me. And, and we're going to, we're going to go now. And it takes her 37 minutes to leave. The second child, as she's walking out the door, she jots down her phone number on a post-it and hands it to the babysitter and let me, says, let me know if anything goes wrong. The third child, as they are pulling down the driveway, she screams, call 911 if you see blood. <laughs> How about it when every child, every child eats a coin at some point? That first child eats the coin and the mom puts that child into the car seat. They're at the hospital and there she's demanding x-rays every 15 minutes tracking that coin's progress. Second child, every time she changes the diaper, she's checking to make sure that everything is as it's supposed to be. And eventually the coin's passed and, and, and she's at peace. Third child, she sees that that child has eaten that coin and she immediately deducts it from its future allowance. It's not that the love of the mother is any different for the third child than it is the first child. The love is exactly the same. But what has happened is she has grown into her role as a mother. She has relaxed into her role as a mother. And now she knows who she is as a mom. And, and she, she knows what it means to, to worry about the right things. She's now focusing on the right things and she's allowing, she's relaxed in the other things and she's, she's allowing process to take its place. And, and, and oddly enough, third children usually live as long as first children. I have a third, I, I have a, 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 I'm the first. I was cared for well. I have a brother that's the third. I do not know what happened to him. We're praying for him. But it wasn't my mama's fault, I promise. <laughs> See, she, she became something she didn't know how to be. In salvation, we become something. We become saved. We become a child of God. But we've become something that we don't know how to be. We don't know what it means to live saved. We don't know what it means to live a Christian life. We don't know what it means to live beyond sin or free from the bondage of sin. So, so in, in, in our position, we are now a holy child of God, declared righteous by God. But conditionally, we are still dealing with sin in our lives. But from the fall of Adam until today, God has always tried to distinguish his children from the other's people in the world. From, so his children were always called special to him. In fact, in Exodus chapter 31, we see some of this distinguishing happen. Let's, let's look at verse number 12. It says, and the Lord God, and the Lord rather spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Keep the Sabbaths so that you may know that I am the Lord that sanctifies you. Now, what is this thing called the Sabbath? If you translate the word specifically, it means intermission. It's, it's a, a period of rest from production. 
In, in the creation story, we see Jesus, well, we see God resting on the seventh day. He creates for six days, and then on the seventh day, God rested, Scripture tells us. So you see that. Then you see the Sabbath day, according to this, this plan of God. It was the seventh day. And so in this seventh day, Israel would rest from all work. They wouldn't keep doing those things that brought production. They would rest from it. In fact, it was a mandatory day of rest. God said, if you don't rest, I won't bless. But if you will rest, I will bless. And it required three things from Israel. The first was obedience. He said, keep the Sabbath. It was a command. Secondly, it was faith. Israel had to trust that God would provide in six days what they needed to live for seven days. So there was an element of faith that was involved. And then there was rest involved. The third thing was rest. They, they had to rest on that seventh day, on that Sabbath day. There had to be a time of rest for them. God said, keep the Sabbath and know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. So the Sabbath was this time of rest. But what is this sanctify thing? What, is this, what does he mean by sanctify? Sanctify means to set apart or declare holy. So he said, if you rest on the seventh day, I will declare you holy. I will sanctify you. I will set you apart from every other nation on earth. And it's interesting because obedience in this situation, obedience required faith. And faith allowed rest. They could not rest if they did not have faith that God would do what he said. But they could not have faith unless they obeyed what God had told them to do. So obedience required faith, but faith allowed rest to take place. God's plan of rest made Israel unique from every other nation because no other nation stopped from their productive efforts one day a week. It was seven day go. But this concept of sanctification teaches us a lesson. And our big idea today is this. Sanctification results in a God-honoring lifestyle of personal growth. It results in a God-honoring lifestyle of personal growth. The Sabbath set a rhythm of obedience, of trust, and of rest in the life of Israel. There was a rhythm of that. They, they knew six days we go, and seven day we rest. Six days we go, seventh day we rest. Six days we go, seventh day we rest. It's a rhythm of life that was set into practice, trusting God. That sixth day, knowing that the seventh is coming, saying, I believe God can take care of all of our needs according to what he has what he can provide in his riches in glory. I believe that God can do this. And so there's this, this rhythm, and this rhythm in our lives allows us to become selfless. We can become selfless as we, we trust God and we learn to rest in him. And I've thought three thoughts for us today on the subject. And, and thought number one is this. God commands obedience. God commands obedience. Now, we, we look at this idea of salvation or living holy as, a, as a, a free gift or an unearned gift of God. 
And I agree that it's unearned, but unearned does not mean without effort. Think about this. If I say to you, I'll pay you $100 if you take this pile of rocks over here and you move it over there. And so you work like a beast all day long and you move half of those rocks to the other side. And I tell you, here is your $100 I'm paying you for the whole. That $100 would have been unearned. It meant there was work done for sure. You moved 50% of the rocks. But you still did not earn the $100. In our world, we cannot live holy enough to deserve the justification that God has given us. We, We cannot live holy enough in order to be perfect in every way without mistake. The only one that has ever been able to do that was Jesus Christ. He was tempted in all points just like we were, and yet without sin, he died for us. So he, he never made a mistake. He was, he was right there, but I cannot boast of the same thing. I can't. And so I know that I cannot live holy enough, but it doesn't mean that I don't try. In fact, Jesus puts a fine point on obedience in, in Scripture. He says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. He connects obedience to love. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love, then keep. If you don't love me, don't keep. If you you don't love me, you won't keep. But if you love me, keep my commandments. In John 15, he says it a little bit of a different way. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Okay, we all agree that Jesus remained in the love of the Father. And that the Father blessed him and kept him and, 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 and allowed him to live a perfectly holy life. We, we know this. And he says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. So he equates keeping his commandments to obeying, obeying his commandments is the same thing as keeping his commandments, which means staying or remaining in his love. He says, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. He's saying, you've got to do just like I did. I kept my father's commandments and I remained in his love. Again, he's connecting the two items together, the two ideas together. They, They can't be separated they, they are together. He, he's commanding obedience here. And what's the purpose of all of it? Verse number 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So obedience stems from love and results in joy to the obedient. The Bible tells us that God chastens those he loves. One of the worst things a parent can do to their child is fail to discipline them. A disciplined child is a loved child. I've told my sons that their whole lives. <laughs> a disciplined child is a loved child because, because you don't want them to, to get out of things that are going to keep them safe. You want them to be safe. Tyrion was young and, and the, the, we had an electric stove, first electric stove we ever had, and, and I turned, off the, I turned off the heat and the, the ceramic top went from being glowing red to being completely black. 
and, and I saw Tyrion tense up, and I said, don't touch that stove, son. If you touch that stove, it's going to burn you. And Tyrion looked at me and looked at the stove, looked at me, looked at the stove. He leapt forward very quickly and slammed his hand down on the burner and screamed. And his hand blew up. And thank God he didn't burn himself terribly. I mean, it was scary for sure. And it hurt. But he doesn't have any scars from it. But what he learned is, Dad is not trying to keep you from some wonderful, joyful experience... By telling you, don't touch the hot stove. Dad is trying to keep you from having a hurtful, terrible experience by saying, don't cross this line. And guess what Tyrion has never done again? He's never, when I said that was hot, I've never had to convince him of that again. Because he learned that my rule... My commandment, don't touch the stove, was really for his benefit. Our father loves us. He does not put commandments in our lives in order to keep us from wonderful things that are going to make our lives beautiful in every way, just so that we could be miserable and live terrible lives. He puts rules in our lives. He put commandments out there so that we can be safe, that we can be profitable, that we can do good things and experience good things in life. Our joy will overflow. But our obedience requires knowing what God is commanding. A new mom doesn't always understand everything that's out there. She doesn't know everything, but she does not ever stop seeking greater understanding on caring for her child. She's determined to do right things. And she isn't faulted for the things that she doesn't know. But she is faulted for the things that she does know and discards. What is your immediate thought if you hear the story of a woman who does not put her car, her child in a car seat, rather, and the child is injured in an accident? You immediately think she should have put her child in a car seat. The, the, the child would have been safer had they been in a car seat. And so we lay that blame at the feet of the mother. And I will tell you that a Christian, a Christian isn't faulted for not knowing everything up front. We're, we're not. You're not. Living a set-apart life is achieved through a process. We hear the call to become as much like Christ as we can. And instead of running from Him, our love for Him causes us to seek to know Him more, to know Him better. We, We desire to serve Him better, so we don't avoid the learning, but we embrace the learning. See, God saves us without our help. Without our help, we go from being unsaved to completely saved in an instant. We can't do it, and he doesn't need our help to do it. But we have a part to play in the sanctification process. And so it results in in Christians trying to know the will of God. If you've been around churches at all, you you might have heard the phrase, I'm just trying to know what God's will is. I'm trying to discern the will of God. Well, I'll tell you three quick things on how to discern the will of God. Actually, four. The first is read Scripture. The Bible says what it means. If you want to know Him, read the Scripture. Secondly, be faithful in attendance and worship. I don't, if you don't attend this church and you attend another church, just make sure you're attending a good, strong, Bible-based church and you will grow in your Christian walk with Christ. You, we need to hear the teaching of the Word. Third, get into the life group. 
Get around other strong Christians that can help you, keep you accountable, help teach you, explain things that you might not know already. As things are revealed into your life, you can move forward. And fourth, pray. The more time you spend with God talking to Him, the easier it will become to hear His voice. The easier it will become to know what He's saying in your life. And then we have the responsibility to implement what we know. What if, I, what if I know something to do and I don't do it? Well, the Bible says this in James. It is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So when we know what we should do and we decide not to do it, that's where we step into this world of sin, of displeasing God. Hmm. But knowing that he's justified you and I results in love, and love compels obedience. Sometimes I know my sons don't do what I tell them to do because they want to do what I tell them to do. They do what I've told them to do because they love me. And they know that I love them. There was a day when it was all about what punishment would rain down fiercely upon their heads. But as they've gotten older, that day is is gone. Today they do it because they love me. Relationship is there. The same happens with you and I and God. God is not looking for perfection, but he is looking for progress. He wants you and I to move forward. The boys don't always get it right, and I don't get angry when they get it wrong and are trying. But I do get frustrated when I know they're not trying at all, and they get it wrong. Just don't stop. Don't stop learning. Don't stop trying to obey God. And that leads us to thought number two. The Christian is called to faith. To faith. Trust that God's working in your life. Trust that He's working even when you're failing. Justification means that you go from the bottom of the ladder to the top of the ladder and you're standing at the very top, completely holy before God. But these, these rungs, they symbolize different levels of living and, and different levels of holiness. And and, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of rungs between the bottom here and, and way up there at the top. A lot of different rungs. And, and, and sometimes it can be a frustration as we're trying to go up and then, then we end up coming down. And, and maybe we help somebody cross the road. And so we, we're like, yeah, hey, that's good. And, and maybe we didn't tell a lie today. And so, man, that's good. And then we think, beep, I'm good. <laughs> Got to go down a rung. Here, here we are doing good and all of a sudden now we, we didn't do so good and, and so it can get frustrating because on one hand we're making the effort to climb to the highest rung possible but on the other hand we know we'll never get there to the very top but we must learn and do all we can. But on the other hand, why try if I'm not going to get all the way to the top? What's really the point? Maybe I just give up and stay on the bottom. But on the other hand, God will not leave us on the bottom. And when we're in a relationship with him, he keeps calling us ever higher, every higher. And this is where the confidence of faith comes in. In the face of doubt created by the stark realities of human condition, we, are re- we remember the crucifixion of our Savior. And the fact that his blood ran red so that our sins could be washed white. And we know that his blood will never stop running. We know that it never stops running. So the believer says, I'm going to do all I can to get to the top of this ladder. But I know that I won't ever get to the very top of this thing. So 
My faith allows me to know that the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers me. And it covers me from the very top to the very bottom. And so from here, no matter where I'm at on the bottom of this, uh, on this ladder, all the rungs from here to there are covered by the blood of Christ. So if I'm here, I'm covered by the blood. If I'm here, I'm covered by the blood. If I'm a little higher, I'm covered by the blood. But if I make some mistakes and I start going lower again, I'm still covered by the blood. The blood doesn't stop at any particular level. It, co- it covers my entire human condition and it, it, reco- it covers your entire human condition. So here's the fact. God calls every single one of these rungs, every single one of these letters, uh, layers and levels, he calls them success. You are successful as long as you're on the ladder and you are covered by the blood. Some of you have been living in condemnation uh, just knowing that you've been making mistakes and, and failing and having problems and not living up to your Christian values and the things that you know are right. And you feel like you're way down here on the bottom rung. And, and, and you know, it just, you just don't even know if you can go any lower than this. Can I tell you, can I tell you this morning that there is therefore now no condemnation condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? There's no condemnation because you're still covered by the blood of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. You are in a process called sanctification. And as long as you stay on the ladder, you're standing in success as a Christian. So do everything you can to live holy. Yes, you'll fall short, but stay on the ladder. Stay on the ladder. Faith knows that his blood makes up the difference in your position and your condition. And your faith is secure in Christ Jesus. And that leads us to thought number three. That the Christian is offered rest. Rest. The Christian is offered rest. Israel was the only nation on the planet that that observed the Sabbath. And their ability to rest in God set them apart. Acknowledging God's provision and God's power. Acknowledging that His process was at work in their life. But I want you to see again, I want to remind you of what God said to Israel about this thing called the Sabbath. He says, you rest... You keep, rather, and I'll sanctify. You keep, and I'll sanctify. Both had a part to play in this process. You cannot make yourself holy enough to be saved. But you are called to be holy. So your job is to keep. Oh, I I, I see. I see. I I, I need to... to, change my world in this area. Maybe I need to move into a new area of understanding. Understanding has opened up in my mind regarding this situation. I had had a family years ago uh, started coming to church and, and, uh, and they had been living together for 20 years or something like that and never gotten married. And, and they came to church and they started reading their Bible. They got a, a cool a moment of salvation. And, and here they are, they're reading their Bible. And, the, and, and they started reading that if, if people who are sleeping together but are unmarried, 
uh, that's a sin. And so they, they read that and they came to me one day and they said, hey, we, we're in this situation. I said, oh, okay. They said, uh, we think we need to get married. I said, I'd love to, love to help you with that. And, and so they, they went and got married. There was no condemnation for their previous state. Nobody called them out on it. Nobody said, you better or. Nothing like that. But something happened in them. And they, they realized, oh, okay, we, let, we asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And so, and so here we are, we're on the ladder. And now God's called us to another level. Maybe, maybe God's talking to you about getting baptized. Next week, we'll take the ladder out of the baptistry and we're going to baptize people. And, and, and in that, maybe God's calling you to, to be baptized. And, and you're saying, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm just, well, if God's calling you higher, there's no condemnation in not being baptized. We're, we're not, we're, there's, there's nothing negative here. We're, we're, but there is a positive. If God's calling you higher. He said, he's saying, come on. Our job is to keep his job is to sanctify. When we do what he says, he separates us unto himself. He makes us holy. So something in us is calling us ever higher. In, in my own life, I, I, um, I really like watches. And I've always liked watches. I'm not a real big jewelry person in general, but I like watches. And so years ago, I was on a stage... I was an associate pastor at a large church, and I was on the stage, and there were spotlights, and Christy had just bought me this brand new watch. And I was wearing a suit, and I'm wearing this watch, and I was worshiping Jesus like this, and I was sitting up on the stage, and I was doing this, and it was all good until I opened up my eyes, and one of the spotlights glinted off my watch. And I thought, ooh, this watch looks really good with this suit. Love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Ooh, nice watch with this suit. Yeah, oh, love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. And instantly I felt in my heart, in my spirit, that I needed to take that watch off. Now, there's nothing wrong with watches. Nothing. I like watches. There's nothing wrong with watches. But, but I knew right then I needed to take my watch off. And I was so irritated about it, I literally hit the chair in front of me and I went, no. And the pastor that was sitting in front of me turned around and went... And I said, no, no, don't worry about it. But I reached down and I took off my watch. And every time that I would think about wearing a watch, I would feel conviction in my heart. Conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is God calling you higher. Condemnation is saying, you're no good. Conviction says, hey, take a step up. Now, there's nothing wrong with watches. In fact, I know there's nothing wrong with watches because I, bought, I like watches. Christy has a bunch of really nice watches. Because for 10 years, I didn't wear a watch. For 10 years, I wouldn't wear a watch. I have them. I didn't wear them. But I gave myself an outlet by buying Christy a bunch of watches. <laughs> Nothing wrong with watches. About 10 years went by, and I was sitting in a, a service one time, and a man came up and, and was preaching, and he came and he put his hand like this right here in front of my face. And, and, and he had this great big, really nice watch. The diver's watch. I mean, you could like control satellites from this watch. It was impressive. <laughs> and I looked at his watch and I thought, that's a nice watch. And for the first time in years, I didn't feel anything convicting or negative about that thought. So I went home and I put on a watch. And I was like... <laughs> and didn't feel anything about it. I took it off and... For a little while later, I, I just, every once in a while, we put watches on and off. Now, I like watches. But today, 
And, 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 and I realized that God had removed that from my, my world, so I started wearing watches again. And, but here's, here's what the difference is. Before, I wouldn't leave the house without a watch. I mean, I just, I just wouldn't. I, I, I wanted my watch. And today, I go weeks without wearing a watch sometimes. And then every once in a while, I'll get up and I'll go, oh, I want to wear a watch today, and I'll put on a watch. Before watches had me, now I have the watch. See, there was nothing at all wrong with the watch, but maybe there was something wrong in me. Maybe there was a pride issue. Maybe there was a vanity issue. I I don't know what it was in me, but God was calling me higher. And he just just used the watch to be the tool. He said, I'm I'm calling you a little bit higher. I'm going to sanctify you a little bit more. It's not about whether or not you're wearing the watch. It's whether or not your heart is separated to me or not. Will you listen to what I'm saying? I'm not going to condemn you for wearing a watch. If I thought there was condemnation in watches, I wouldn't have been buying them for Christy because I love her. I don't want her to be condemned. This isn't an issue of condemnation. This is an issue of sanctification where he's saying, I'm calling you just a little bit higher. I'm calling you to another level. God calls every rung of that ladder success, but just stay on the ladder. Now, you might be saying, well, what happens if I jump off the ladder? I'm going to be talking about that next week. I am not going to jump off the ladder, but I am going to teach about the subject matter. A mother of three. A lady came up to me in first service and said, I'm a mother of four. What about a mother of four? Okay, a mother of however many children doesn't love any one of them more or less. Unless she's telling the truth. That was bad. I'm going to repent for that in a little bit. Okay. I'm going to repent for that. I'm sorry. I've made every mama mad right now. Security, security. I'm going out the back. Anyway. She doesn't love anyone more or less. But what has happened is she has relaxed in her role as a mother. God is calling you through sanctification to relax in your role as a child of God. If you say, well, I just want to know if I'm doing what God's called me to do. God created the heavens and the earth. He can get your attention if he wants it. So just do what he's called you to do. Follow his word. Heed his teaching. Obey his commandments. Allow him to grow you into being all that you can be in him. You're in a process that you've already won. Because you're growing. And if I was in the south, I'd say, and he's already called you growed. You're already done. He's called you. He's justified you. You're walking through the process of sanctification. Why don't you bow your heads with me right now? In your life, take a deep breath. Do what you know is right today. And trust God to reveal your next step. Maybe you don't understand everything and that's okay. That's okay. Relax in God's ability to tell you what next step to make. If he's calling you to baptism, get on the website today and sign up for that next week. Don't wait, just obey his call. Whatever he may be calling you to. I promise if you'll trust him. And if you'll relax. Then he 
will sanctify you. He does the work of sanctification. So ask this question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying to me? And allow me to pray for you right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your people. Those that you have called by your name, set apart for your service. I'm asking you, Savior, that you would use them and guide them today. For those that have felt condemnation in their life, I rebuke that spirit of condemnation, that feeling of condemnation. Because there is no condemnation in you. For those who have never allowed you to be their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would have the courage and the strength to make that step today. Whatever you're calling us to, mighty God, I pray that we would, we would take the step trusting you, knowing that your blood makes up the difference between where I am and where you've called me. I give you thanks and praise for that, mighty Savior. In Jesus' precious name, amen.